Welcome to the Access VFX podcast, pursuing inclusion, diversity, awareness, and opportunity in VFX, animation, and games industries. Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, founder and director of Access VFX, bringing the visual effects, animation, and games industry together, working towards a shared goal to make our industry more diverse and inclusive by taking action rather than just talking about it. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Access VFX podcast. And this is a special episode taking place live during National Coding Week. So it was an idea of one of our our members uh, at one of our monthly meetings that we should do something. So we thought we'd do a, a coding special and we thought we'd have a focus on female codings, codings, female coders, uh, because I imagine from what I hear is you're often the only kind of woman in the room when it comes to this kind of role. That's what I hear, that's what I read, that's what we read. Um, so we thought we'd launch the episode during National Coding Week as well. So we're here on a quite a brisk Thursday morning. Um, it's the first thing, so lots of coffees around the table. So I thought uh, we'd kick off with some introductions. So rather than me introduce you for you, I thought if we can go around the table, and we have um, Molly from Outpost dialing in from Bournemouth as well. So if we start to my right, and just tell us kind of your name, what you do, and where you do it. I'm Julia Liu. I'm a software developer at DNEG for Fur. I'm Caro, and I do R&D for rigging at the mill. And I'm Anna. I do rigging at Blue Zoo. I'm Lucy. I'm the lead software developer for Fur at DNEG. Uh, I'm Lizzie. I'm a pipeline ATD at DNEG. And on the line we have. Hi, I'm Molly. I'm a technical resources leader at Outpost VFX. Excellent. So I'm going to dive straight into the questioning. Um, and my first question, being a non-coder, is what is coding? Because I hear that coding is very important. I hear that uh, for the next generation coming up that you have to learn to code. But for the uneducated listening, or maybe even the educated listening, what is coding? And this is a question to anybody who wants to take it. I would just say like coding is how you interact with a computer and just how you tell a computer what you want it to do in this basic form. And I guess the reason why it would be so important these days is because everything we do nowadays is based around computing and software and everything like that. It's becoming more and more that literally everything revolves around computers. So if you can code, then you have all of that computing power like in your hands and you can do and make whatever you want. Okay. Wow. Okay, that's a very nice start. So, I mean, you all do fairly different jobs. I mean, you all have coding at kind of the, the heart of your, your work, right? But from just going around the table, I mean, yeah, there's some um, uh, kind of synergies with like software development, but kind of rigging, R&D, um, you know, technical development. I mean, are, is, is it a broad tapestry of roles that are available, do you think, when it comes to coding? I think, like, um, at the end of the day, everything you're doing in visual effects is on a computer. So if you're able to code you can use it in, in any way that, may, like an, any artist route, any R&D route, any, any form of route in VFX. Mm. If you can code, it gives you a better understanding of what you're doing and you can look more in depth at what you're doing and possibly take more of control of whatever scene it is you're trying to edit or whatever, if you can code. So okay. I think it's, it works in any part of VFX because it all revolves around a computer. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to come back to this um, this subject of how coding applies to VFX animation, but I'm really interested to find out how you got into this line of work. Um, 
And I'm happy to go around the table because uh, I think I'm interested in hearing about all of your career paths. Um, but how did you discover coding as a career option? Let's go with somebody who hasn't spoken. Let's go to Bournemouth on the line. What about you, Molly? How did you stumble across this madcap world of coding? I, um, it came to me initially through, uh, through rigging. Um, well, I was in uh, my second year at university and we had uh, Python lessons. But to start with, I didn't really have a clue what, <laughs> what I was going to use it for, I guess. We were, we were being taught it, but, you know, um, I wasn't really sure what, what it was going to be used for. Um, the other year group got to do, like, a procedural city, but we didn't actually get to do anything, make anything from it. So I just learned basic Python, but I had no idea where to kind of implement it or where to use it. Um, and then in my second year, I kind of, to my third year, I kind of decided that I wanted to kind of move into rigging. Um, and then I worked out that as an area of expertise, you, to be able to progress even further, you, you had to be able to code. There was no way that, you know, you could be a rigger without, without Python. Okay, that's interesting, actually, because one of Tom's favorite things to say, Tom Box is here, by the way, is officially producer for these podcasts, but he's also co-founder of, of Blue Zoo Animation, uh, often says uh, that Python is uh, obviously still to this day uh, part of the curriculum, but you know, the educators, the teachers don't know how it applies to roots into yeah, industries. That's really yeah. refreshing to hear a live yeah. example <laughs> from, from you, Molly. We didn't use it at all. Well, we didn't get taught it for rigging purposes mm -hmm. uh, in my year anyway. I know Caro was with me as well, so um, she was she she was on a different course, okay. but yeah. Yeah, like it was interesting because Molly was uh, on a course that was more artistic okay. and my course was a bit of a mixture of both. And we were taught scripting and programming, but we weren't taught rigging. Uh, whereas Molly was taught rigging, but without scripting. And there was this weird disconnection between these two disciplines, which I always found quite curious at Bournemouth University. Okay, so Carol, tell us a bit more about your journey then into... You know, um, so I did, I did some programming in high school, actually, but at that time, it was not connected to computer graphics at all. It, it was all about, you know, um, some total graphics. Well, okay, that's graphics, sorry. Um, but we didn't really connect that to computer graphics as like a discipline. It was more about, um, well, make that turtle go a certain way. And then also, you know, databases, um, which is all a bit of a boring stuff to me, to be honest. Um, so I never really, I never considered that as a career option at the time. But then I went to uh, study computer animation at university and we had this mixture of technical and artistic um, units that allowed us to kind of pick our own path within the industry. So we could try out everything, like a bit of everything, and then decide what suits us best. Um, and I slowly gravitated towards that. I went into rigging initially. Um, and I think the... I'm a, I'm a kind of person who really dislikes doing things uh, twice. Okay. So like if I say, if I, if I go somewhere and I have to walk back, there's a slight feeling of discomfort that I have to walk back the same way. Mm -hmm. It's a bit odd, but um, I think maybe someone will notice that now as I, after I mention that as well. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, after you, know, after you create a rig, a complex rig that works nicely and you're very proud of it, afterwards you feel like um, you realize, oh, I have to do it all over again. Mm -hmm. So it, would, it, it was nice to kind of find ways to automate as much as you can. So all the mundane bits of your work, uh, you don't have to deal with it. Like 
you can just quickly um, tell Maya to build everything for you. Um, but you're still in charge of the logics. You design it and you are the um, architect of the rig. Um, it's just that you don't have to do the manual work. And that made me more interested in that. But also we had units um, that were a bit more advanced in computer graphics, like we did simulations and some more scientific computing as well for the underlying kind of um, things in our graphic software that we use. So image processing, uh, geometry deformation, <coughs> simulations like fluid simulation. Um, and because we were taught by this professor who was so passionate about it and we really loved interacting with him. He was a great supervisor. Um, he instilled a lot of inspiration okay. uh, for the subject and it got me very interested in it because on like when you step into that field you see so many opportunities how powerful programming can be with AI these days you know deep fake and all of that and you, you learn from the basics and you slowly gain more understanding of it and you realize huh I could actually do it as well if I just apply myself to learning this it's not impossible it's daunting at first when you don't know nothing but if you go down that road um, you can achieve anything like yeah. Lizzie said yeah amazing all right we can cut the podcast there <laughs> on that inspiring note thank you thank you Caro so Anna what about you you know being the only the person representing animation here you know what was your career path into coding um I think I had the different kind of career path because I was coming from a very technical background like in high school I used to do quite a bit of programming and maths but when I chose what to study for university I wanted to do something artistic just because I didn't really find the technical part interesting or the people doing the technical part I didn't found them inspiring so I chose to do animation and when I got to university and I was taught programming there, I realized that most of the knowledge I already had it from high school. So I realized how easy it was for me to pick up a few things and um, I realized how important it was in animation, how um, a lot of the times there are like these small processes that you need to do over and over again and with the programming you can automate them and like simplify them. So that's, that's kind of how I chose to do programming. Yeah, it's interesting that you weren't necessarily inspired by the technical part of coding, because there's an assumption that coding is all technical, right? That you yeah. have to be a certain type of person. Yeah, no, I kind of got into it when I start, wanted to be more artistic. Yeah. And uh, going into like an artistic field, I realized that everything I knew could really be helpful and help artists to become more efficient with their work. Thank you. Um, I want to come back to this subject as well. There's quite a lot of subjects I want to come back to, but the whole um, what kind of person should pursue coding is really interesting. You know, it's kind of the techie versus the artist and, and where, they, where they kind of clash together. So, uh, Lucy, uh, what was your career? We haven't heard from you on the podcast yet. So, uh, Lucy, tell us a bit about your route into this role, this kind of world. Um, it was probably a quite slightly unusual one. Um, so, I, while I was at school, I didn't really have any idea what I wanted to do, and I was quite good at maths and science. So when I got to the sixth form, my school organised work experience for me in a medical imaging department. Um, and I found that really interesting, just like the application of science to medicine and doing doing good things. 
Um, and then after studying physics at university, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I started a PhD in medical imaging, having been introduced to that field. Um, and that was really when I learned to program because the, the image processing side of it um, was all um, done through programming. And I realized that it was a very satisfying thing to do, to give the computer a set of instructions and then see the results visually on screen. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't pursue the PhD to the end. I decided I wanted a proper job. Um, but after that, I went to work processing astronomical images um, and gradually found my way to the foundry and then to DNEG. So you didn't see the PhD through to right to the end then? Um, to go back? No, not really, no. It was never the right thing for me. It was just an interesting field, yeah. but I didn't actually have a good reason to be doing it. The inspiration <laughs> there to where you are now, right? Amazing. Thank you, Lucy. So, Lizzie, um, tell us a bit about your career path. Um, so, interestingly, like Lucy, um, I studied physics at university, um, and I started PhD. <laughs> um, I started a PhD in particle physics in South Korea. I did it for one year. Um, and, yeah, like Lucy, I kind of, um, from doing that, it kind of exposes you to the coding world more, because I was doing a lot of particle simulations, um, so I was looking at high-energy particle physics experiments, so you have to do a lot of simulation and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, so I I already looked at applying to DNEG before I started that PhD, because um, I had a professor at university who studied physics, and then he went to be a pipeline TD. Um, so he kind of introduced me to, like, the world of VFX, and he kind of said, like, if you can code which is what a physics degree does teach you to do, then you can kind of go into VFX world because it's all based around that kind of stuff. So, Language, yeah. yeah, if you if you you know have any kind of inclination towards maths or coding or whatever, it it does bring you into this world quite easily. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I did one year of the PhD and then I was like, no, I. I this is not, <laughs> I mean, I, I found it interesting and I still love physics. I yeah. still like really love that world and I still find it really interesting, but the PhD itself is kind of soul draining. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how long are PhDs like? Um, in Korea, it could have been like five to six years. Wow. Um, in the UK, it's around three to four, I think. Yeah. Um, but Korea don't really have like a limit on how long it can go on. Really? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're cheap labour, so they want to keep yeah. you as long as possible. Wow. Um, Did you guys know this about each other at Dino? No, <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. Amazing. You've got some new bonding experience yeah. now. So. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to loop over to the side of the table, Julia. I don't want to miss you out. Um, you tell us a bit about your roots into coding. Um, so I grew up around computers. Both of my parents were software engineers. Oh wow! Okay. So yeah, early on, I started like messing with web development, web design. Like I like changing values and seeing something change on an image on the screen. Um, and then I started watching a bunch of movies like Pirates of the Caribbean, Star Wars, discovering what VFX was. But my parents wanted me to get a real degree. Okay. So I did computer science and film as my majors at University of Texas. And then I did a master's in science in computer animation and visual effects at Bournemouth. And um, I wanted to do visual effects and like fluid sims, but I actually started working in like game engines. Okay. And I'm not a gamer at all. 
but yeah. I'm not very patient, so like, <laughs> just changing stuff in like real time, it, um, you can control so many things and it's interactive. Yeah. Um, so I was working in virtual production for a while and then I came to Deneg and started working on virtuals. Cool. Wow, so lots of different routes in. Have we covered everybody, by the way? I think we kicked off with Molly, didn't we? Molly, did yeah. we include you in this question? We did. Yeah, we did, yeah. Yeah, a few. There's a lot of you here, so. Cool. So that's everybody. We've got all the career paths nailed down. So lots of routes in. I wanted to kind of uh, revisit this, uh, I think, uh, both um, Caro and, and Lizzie and, and Julia to a point. You met both. You all mentioned um, the certain professors who gave you that push and inspired you. I mean, do you guys have any kind of coding heroes, anybody who was the kind of the, the, the catalyst to you pursuing this role? It's all well and good doing the courses and you know, being inspired by Pirates of the Caribbean or Star Wars, but, you know, any kind of leading lights, any heroes that kind of gave you that push to where you are now? Well, I think in terms of, like, my road into programming in general, um, I did have a friend at university who was very passionate about rigging and scripting as well, and um, just, you know, having those people who share your interests at the same time, there's this mutual inspiration, like, you inspire each other uh, while you learn together yeah. and it really pushes you to um, try to learn more and be better and just research more into the field that you're passionate about. Uh, and then there was uh, there's this co-worker as well who was um, quite inspirational because um, he's, uh, he's a really remarkable programmer and well you know, it's it's usually people around you yeah. who inspire you and drive you to like to push yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of having that community of uh, people and teams. Yeah, and yeah. That's something you agree with, team. Yeah, for sure. I think for me it was more. I mean, my inspiration came more from scientists than like actual people in VFX because that's yeah. the world I I was in. So for me, probably because I was doing. Um, high energy physics as well. There's a particle accelerator like CERN in Geneva. I don't know if people know about it, but like someone like Tim Berners-Lee, yeah. who invented the World Wide Web, like wow. he was a programmer at CERN. So that, that kind of like world of, you know, you're not even directly related to physics. He was just trying to do something. And then as a byproduct, he came up with the World Wide Web, <laughs> wow. which is now something that we obviously use continuously everywhere. So that kind of like, oh, just that ability to be able to code can just produce anything. Like it can invent new things. You can make stuff from nothing. It's just so inspirational. So yeah, someone like him would be an inspiration. To me. Great example, isn't it? <laughs> just a few items of code led to yeah. everything we do and view. That's amazing. Uh, any other kind of uh, inspiration, inspirational figures that kind of pushed you to where you're so I was going to um, be a lot more down to earth and say my dad, okay. um, <laughs> because um, I'm an older generation than everyone else around this table, I think, but um, I remember my dad, when I was small, teaching me how to program in BASIC on a ZX Spectrum, so that oh, yeah. really ages me. But mum had the similar technique with uh, teaching me how to program, actually. <laughs> yeah, and although it wasn't something I then pursued until after university, I think the fact that I had done it at that age, it never seemed to me that it was something I couldn't do, that you know, only men did it or whatever. Yeah. It, was, it was never something that scared me. Yeah. And, yeah. 
I love that. Um, I remember friends, because we may be similar ages, but I remember um, friends coding on ZX Spectrums um, with the tape. And, uh, anyway, sorry, <laughs> I digress. But actually, on that, on that point, um, what's the kind of modern-day equivalent of that? You know, we can come, I want to come back to the, um, the inspirational piece, but um, what's the modern-day equivalent? You know, if there are people listening who are young and they're at home and they've got their parents or their family or their you know, community around them, um, what, what's, the, what's the modern day equivalent? How can people code? How do people code now? Is it all on tablets? On you know, I mean, it's probably a little bit more high tech, but the principle is still the same in terms of starting the journey that all of you have started all those years ago. You can code on anything. You can download an app on your phone, and you can literally make like a really basic script, or even like high level scripts. You yeah. can just get an app and just start <laughs> like you don't need yeah. fancy com you don't even need a fancy computer you can do basic stuff you can learn on a a really low low-end computer or or anything anything that has some kind of processing capability yeah. you can you know just open youtube and type how to code <laughs> and you'll find so many resources like everything is open source everything is pretty much free so you can you know, just start from nothing. No, no, thanks to Tim Berners-Lee, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, if, yeah, so we're going to have, um, I mean, we, the podcast has only been going for a few months, but you know, we've, got a, we've got a healthy audience out there, hopefully listening to this. So if somebody's never tried coding, what type of person do you think would enjoy it or, or would connect with it? Because we've already had quite a rich conversation around the... That the artistry of it as well as the technical and the, the, the physics and you know the two all those different worlds colliding but you know who would enjoy coding do you think i think um if if you are to enjoy coding you need to be a very logical person you need to enjoy problem solving and you need to uh like uh, finding like a logic behind solving a certain problem because um anything can be solved but you need to find the path that you need to take, like the sequence of steps that you need to do in order to achieve that end goal. And um, it's almost like having a puzzle because you usually, you know what are the steps, but you also need to like decompose the steps into like smaller steps so that you end up reusing some of them uh, for different tasks. Um, an example one of my teachers would give us about what an algorithm is is he, he was telling us about making coffee. So like you would boil the water, this would be step one. Step two would be like putting the coffee in the cup. Step three would be, I don't know, putting pouring the water over the coffee. But then there are certain actions that you have that you might be using for, I don't know, making tea. So for example, boiling the water can be like a function that you use for both making coffee and making tea or even making pasta, I don't know. Yeah. So it's about like putting the good pieces that you need together in order to achieve that. Wow. And cool. everything has an algorithm. Yeah, everything <laughs> we do is <laughs> an algorithm. Wow, this is, I've never had this conversation before <laughs> at the age of 45, it's fascinating. Uh, Molly, anything to add to that? Uh, no, I mean, uh, obviously, problem solving is a, is a huge thing because if you get to, you know, if you end up writing 50 lines and then you get an error and you just give up, then you're going to be uh, a little bit stuck. So, I mean, if anyone was to stop at their first syntax error, then they would be in a bit of trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> different people would enjoy different types of programming more than others or actually even hate some of the other types. 
like if you prefer back end over front end or if you do like you know thinking about the user experience how um, the UI kind of fits in with the requirements and um, is it easy to use is it intuitive does it make the user want to come back to the application or the software then you might prefer front end if you're more interested in the algorithms and the logic behind um, the functions and methods that your application needs to perform you might enjoy the backend more okay. uh, if you're very interested in writing efficient optimized code that can perform um, real time or do something really fast as fast as possible then you might prefer parallel programming and maybe tinkering with GPUs um, so it depends on the results that I think excite you the most like if you want to see something uh, if you want to see your results visualize it you might enjoy computer graphics so it's also dependent on the field you're going into right if you're OCD you love organizing maybe databases yeah. um, so you can pick and choose what you prefer there's so much you can choose from in yeah. the broad broadly uh, understood field of programming so you know there's there's possibly something for everyone because yeah. in our core like as humans we love problem solving um there was this book that suggested that depends also the of the level of the challenge like if it's a bit too difficult for you you might hate it but if you find a challenge that is just right for you like you know you can solve it um that can you know that can offer a life a career that would be a lifelong you know yeah. satisfaction so it's kind of knowing you know what you prefer in terms yeah, of your personality basically. how you like to work because you yeah. know you can put your personality around the specific type of programming and also you can fit the level of programming to how much you would like to take on okay so you mentioned uh, front-end and back-end I mean what does that mean that's a question to everybody I mean uh, it goes back to my first question you know what is coding you know, what, is, what does front-end and back-end mean for, for our listeners who might be new to um, this world? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, front-end is more what somebody is interacting with of your program. So okay. the way your UI looks, the buttons it has, the different colours it goes, this kind okay. of stuff. And then back-end is more like the technical side of when you press that button, what process happens. Okay. So it, it could be... But it's more like closely linked to the computer and how fast your process is happening, your mm -hmm. optimization, that kind of stuff. Okay. So that like you can be a front end programmer and only interact with kind of design and all this kind of stuff more than actual logic and yeah. speeding up processes, that kind of stuff. Okay, thank you, Lizzie. So I want to come back to the skills and the software because I think a lot of our listeners want to know what they can do. But I also want to uh, talk about the, the inclusion piece because we're Actus VFX and we're about you know, promoting more inclusion and diversity in the industry. Um, so um, you know, what, have you guys had any struggles with what is essentially a very male-dominated role? You know, how do you, you know, if you came across any kind of barriers, for example, how did you resolve them? And again, it's an open question, but it'd be good to have a quick discussion around that. I think for me, um, the biggest barrier was just a lack of role models. So I was the only woman in the first company I joined. Uh, then I was the only female engineer in the second company I joined. Um, both when I started and also when I left, sadly, 13 years later, I was again the only one. Um, so 
I'd be interested to hear how it has been for the younger women here. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure that I've really resolved that, but over the years I've learned that actually difference can be a good thing. It's not necessarily something to be ashamed of and that I have strengths that maybe other people in the, in the group don't have and just to try to work to my strengths and appreciate the things that I do well rather than comparing myself against other people that actually don't have that much in common with me. So. Be your own role model in that case. <laughs> I guess, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thank you Lucy. I suppose in university I was always in pretty male-dominated majors as well, like there was always way fewer women in those courses, um, especially in computer science. Um, and this is actually the first company where I'm not the only woman on the team, <laughs> which is really nice. <laughs> I'm always amazed that, you know, there's still a kind of a lack of kind of female role models in this space because you know everything you guys are talking is about people who are problem solving people who are great communicators people who are creative and technical so why are, are why aren't there enough women in, in coding I mean it, again it's a big question but it's something that almost frustrates me every time I hear it you know everything you know we're having a really good conversation here but I mean has it changed I mean even at university I assumed that it was m much more mixed at the kind of education level and then for some reason it thins out when you get to industry through whatever reason but I think like they've done some kind of studies on it and like young kids it tends to not be as like prevalent I think yeah. it's around the high school age that girls tend to stop doing technical yeah. related subjects and it was the same for me at school yeah. so I mean I don't know what it's like now in schools but yeah. for me it was the same I was the only girl that studied yeah. A-level physics in my school and that kind of stuff but I mean I think it it still comes slightly from societal image and mm -hmm. that that kind of stuff where girls feel somewhat intimidated by it because it's always been that way mm -hmm. that like men have done that yeah. so they wouldn't even consider that that's something that they should go down yeah. for me personally I, I never felt that and I, even now even if it is a male dominated environment it never occurs to me it only occurs to me when people point it out yeah. <laughs> I, I always feel like I don't think about it yeah. because it's just always been that way I've always been one of three girls in the room yeah. one or, or the only girl in the room it's mm. just always it's been like that been. yeah and I think we are still quite lucky in the UK with the balance we have. Like for my one year PhD in Korea, that was extreme. <laughs> that was like literally the only girl in like the entire department of wow. physics, not like the year, <laughs> like the department. So <laughs> that's like obviously completely more extreme. So in the UK, we are getting better at it. The, I think the numbers are changing with younger generations now yeah. especially with coding being in schools because it wasn't taught to me in school we we did like really basic stuff but it wasn't mm. really coding we we weren't taught that but with that being taught at a young age maybe that will yeah. encourage more young girls to just be like this is normal you know yeah. everyone does this <laughs> i can do this it was interesting what lucy said about your dad being you know encouraging you to code on the, on, on the zx spectrum i mean uh, is there a responsibility on kind of um not necessarily just parents but kind of you know older role models um to kind of uh, encourage um this because usually the kind of the creative careers get kind of beaten out of you from 
I, I guess, very traditional parents that say you're going to go and get a proper job, you know, to your point there, Julia. Um, you know, do you think there's responsibility on parents? Molly, happy to loop you in on the line as well on this. I mean, well, I know with my parents, I they just let me get on and pick what I wanted to do and what I wanted to do. I did an um, artistic re baccalaureate and then had to go through the artistic role to be able to get into computer animation anyway. Um, and they just kind of let me do what I wanted to do. But I think there's still kind of some parents that would obviously still kind of focus their children on, you know, a Bachelor of Science or a Bachelor of Engineering, essentially, which is a, considered a proper job. But I mean, me personally, I think with my, my children, I would encourage them to give them the same kind of route that I've got. And I think that people need to be more open with that. I mean, I'm the same with, with my role here. I'm the only, I'm the only female in the technical department here. So see, I didn't have any struggles at all here. Um, you know, the guys treated me exactly the same as they would anybody else. And, and I think, you know, and I've been welcomed like really nicely into the team. So, but I think, yeah, it's good to encourage children to just go out and pursue whatever they want to pursue. Um, not based on what the kind of general perception is to, to, you know, to go out and, a, a normal job um so um you know a lot, a lot of what you guys have said is that there's not been really been any barriers you've almost got used to the fact that you are the only woman in the room and you're cool with that and you know you, there's there's an equality there even if you're the only person of yeah. you know, of, a, of a different gender um but what more can be done um to address that because it's still a problem right as much as you've not had any barriers and you have a really rich fulfilling role at your respective studios and facilities you know what there's clearly more to be done right what I'm hearing. So what, what needs to be done outside of the, the parental role? You know? I think in general, because uh, Lizzie, uh, she brought up this um, issue of you know, programming not being taught properly at school. I think that is definitely something that could be changed because I believe one of the main issues is kids, they just don't get equally exposed to programming and technology. Um, early on so they don't really develop this idea of oh maybe this is what I want to do or I want to look into this and see what it's like and because technology is becoming so important in pursuing a career these days I think schools and the educational system should really make an effort to include that into the curriculum as a serious subject and maybe then having all the kids being exposed to it uh, on like an equal level, we would see more women uh, finding that interesting and deciding to go down that route. Okay. I think if we could engage more with schools somehow as well, so maybe give talks or get people in to do work experience, then that might really help because um, I know it was a long time ago, but I certainly wasn't aware that programming in VFX was a career when I was that age. So I think just making it yeah. a bit more visible, yeah. especially if people can see women doing it, then yeah. that would probably help. It comes back to your points about role modelling. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, to be fair, when I was in high school and I was doing programming, it was never actually visual. So I think it's, it's important to show that there is this visual side of programming that people can apply their knowledge into. Um, yeah, because um, what really excited me about my, my degree was that at the end of the day I could be proud of what I've achieved yeah. because I could really see the results of my work and uh, it felt more um, rewarding. 
You know? That's a really good point, because it's the same for me. I have to be really interested in the end goal. It's not yeah. just about the code, and I think maybe that's what some people don't appreciate. So I would never want to work in finance, for example, because I, yeah. I just don't care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's the output there, right? <laughs> no, it's a really interesting point, because I think a lot of you have talk, spoken about kind of, you know, you've been, you know, I think, um, was it Carol, you mentioned kind of being an architect? I mean, there's lots yeah. of... Um, Lots of Matrix references on this podcast, obviously. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's that kind of, you know, you're in charge of that kind of the destiny of that piece of content. And I love your point, Anna, around, you know, it's not just about the the stereotype, I guess, of the coder is just in front of a computer kind of just putting in lots of lines of code. I mean, there's an incredible output, you know, whether you know, you know Julie talks about Star Wars or, you know, these kind of incredible motion pictures or, or whatever it is, piece of animation, you know, that's, that's quite an exciting thing to kind of, an exciting message to put out there. Is that fair? I think we really underestimate the the power that is behind a computer yeah. because they're so common to us now whereas obviously I even like 30 years ago it mm. wasn't that common so it's just like the the power that you actually have when it's just you behind a keyboard and a yeah. computer like you can't go from nothing to making something that is in control of I don't know your lights in your house or yeah. you're like you can control different electricities you can control planes you can control everything with terrifying. a computer <laughs> so, yeah. the people don't they because they can't see anything because you're you start with yeah, nothing that you can literally go from that to creating something is is really nice to be able to do that like you yeah. can just make something there for yourself Wow. And use it. <laughs> so basically, all evil geniuses <laughs> take world, world domination. I think um, another thing about programming that makes it quite unique is that when it comes to programming on your own, there's no entry requirements and there's no, well, you need a computer, but other than that, and maybe internet connection, but other than that, there's yeah. really little resources you have to invest into to start programming. So Having that tool that's so easily accessible, you could potentially create something, a product, um, that might be completely new and really people would find it attractive and would really want that product from you. And you know, you could build a career on that or mm. make a lot of money. Like um, there was this kid who uh, developed a new algorithm for filtering through information and news on the, in the, on the internet. And I think they bought the idea for like millions. Wow. So, you know, a small piece of tech, if it's very on demand in the world, if the idea is like, if the problem is very important, like yeah. nobody has solved it yet and you solve it, then, you know. It's all about the idea and the, yeah. the problem solver rather than the, uh, the expensive tech necessarily. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, um, it's the starting point is equal for anyone and it's very accessible. Okay. So on that point, it's a lovely segue into my final question, but I, I want everybody to answer this around the table and on the, on, on the, the line, the phone. I'm a kid of the 80s, so it's kind of like going live, you know, on the line we have. Um, so um, I kind of wanted to get your advice to our listeners um, on how they can skill up for kind of getting into the industry, particularly from a coding perspective. And what I'm really interested to kind of cover off here is there's going to be a lot of listeners who perhaps can't afford to go to university. So we've talked a lot about university degrees and PhDs and, um, you know, going all over the world. But, you know, if there's some young person, and not to say the young person, that's just a Freudian slip on my part, but some anybody out there who can't, doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't have a flash computer, you know, what can they do to start to skill up in this area? 
Um, I guess um, for myself, I I like after I kind of like before university and stuff was also using um, just like apps, but also YouTube. There are so many videos on YouTube that are kind of helpful, but I guess it's about siphoning out those ones that obviously might not be as helpful. They tend to be the ones that are really, really long and haven't got as many views. And I find them to actually be more helpful than the ones that are viewed by millions of people. Um, um, but obviously you don't have to have, you can go to the library, the local library and use the computer there to be able to watch that. I mean, there's a possibility you can, um, you can even code obviously through, through the web browser as well. Um, I think, you know, with the Git repository and everything, it's, it's pretty free to access and you're able to just, you know, keep your code there. And if you come back once, twice a week, then obviously that's accessible. Um, also, uh, Code Academy as well. I use that quite a lot on, on my phone. Um, it's free. So yeah, it's, it's pretty good to see. You don't have to spend loads of money to be able to code. I would say like, I mean, for somebody who's starting from zero, that the best way or the way that I kind of learned at the beginning was finding some problem, maybe like a simple maths question, right? You want to know 33 times 64 and you want a program that will work that out for you rather than putting it in the calculator. If you don't know where to start whatsoever with anything, is to just find an example of that online, copy the code and put it into your whatever it is you're using to code, whether it's a web browser or whatever, and run it, see the output, and then change stuff in the code. And look up, look up okay, so now I, I want to multiply. How do I do that? Google, how do I multiply in Python? Yeah. And then implement that in your code. And then look up something else. Okay, I want to you know, take a series of numbers. I want to go from 0 to 10, and I want to multiply each of the numbers in that series by another number. How do I do that? Google it implement it in your code and just build up yeah. like that so that saves you having to like go through hours of stuff being like I don't even know what I want to learn because yeah. <laughs> that's the problem at the start you don't even know where you want to go with it but you can just as you go through and you literally paste other people's stuff because there's so much stuff out there there's pretty much you can almost google anything online any problem and someone has done it before <laughs> or at least part of it that you can look at and, and code is open source most of the time so you can take piece, bits of other people's code and you can change them and re-implement them and look at look at things that way and it's really good way to just learn how to do stuff because it just it's just so free like everything's there it's so nice that just everything is accessible and people will help you like there's online forums of somebody else's code that you can be like hey why did you do this? Yeah. I don't understand. And usually people will actually come back to you and will actually be like, oh, this was a really neat trick that I did and this is how you could use it. Or you've got a great idea. Maybe let's try and do this and you can help other people out and they'll help you. Yeah. And yeah, it's a really, the internet is just so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's great advice. Thank you, Lizzie. How are you, Lucy? Um, so yeah, so just to add another resource in that's specific to our industry, maybe you can also get um, trial versions or personal learning editions of lots of the software that we use, and that I I think that would be a really good way to just be able to try things out. And again, they come with examples and code snippets and things that you can try. So. Amazing. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think that if you wanna 
start learning programming and you have no previous experience with it, I think you need to like start with simple examples and um, I think you need to have an idea of what you want to achieve, like a goal to aim for and then try to break it down and slowly by slowly build up on your knowledge. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of online resources, uh, you know, internet, right thing. Um, there's a lot of courses on Udemy or Udacity. Um, some of them are free, some of them are not. There are free courses on um, some universities offer free courses like MIT or um, uh, I'm not sure which. I think Open University is not necessarily free, is it? Um, but yeah, there's plenty of resources online if you mm. want to learn it on your own. Uh, in your own time, without anyone's well, without anyone's personal help. Um, but if you don't like, if you would like to be guided through the process, university is not the only route in. Yeah. Um, I've discovered that after I've went to university <laughs> and spent a lot of money, unfortunately. Um, but yes, there's plenty of apprenticeships yeah, that sure. you can apply to in UK, which is, I think a fantastic idea. Not sure if they offer that in my home country, but um, I wish if they did, I wish I knew. Um, but yeah, I think not many people know about this because universities become such a ubiquitous thing. Like yeah. it's just a no-brainer after you know, sec, um, sixth form or wh whatever is your last mm. stage of education. Yeah. You know, next next step university, um, because you know with the loan these days anyone can go to university. Yeah. But if you don't want to be in debt, then there's apprenticeships, there's um, different options to get into the industry. Uh, I know a couple of apprentice, uh, apprentices at the mill. Mm -hmm. um, they're quite young, like you don't even have to maybe finish college apparently, because no. there's one guy who was 16 I think. Oh, I don't know, yeah. And yeah. you know, if you fancy um, learning and earning money already, then that is definitely a good way for you. Um, you get, you know, you learn skills on the job, which um, depending on the industry, with our industry in, at university, some universities might be a bit outdated, some courses, because um, the industry develops so fast. So if you go down the road of an apprenticeship, you know you'll be really up to date with everything, because this is what they're using in the industry. Um, so I would definitely, you know, suggest looking into that if you don't have enough money to go into university. Yeah, it's a really good point, and uh, I think pretty much all of us employ apprentices around the table at least. Um, I think outpost, are you employing apprentices yet? Uh, we, uh, we had, yeah, we had a couple of internships hey. over the summer. Um, so it's something that I think we're looking to, to kind of start and get into. So, yeah. Yeah. And I would, uh, for our listeners who want to get an apprenticeship, particularly in um, visual effects, is. Um, check in with Next Gen Skills Academy um, because they do all the advertising for us and that's where all of our apprentices got, uh, began that journey, I guess. But I'm glad you mentioned that, Carrie. Thank you. Um, so, Julia, any advice for our listeners? Um, so I find that most of the skills I use day to day, I did learn on the job. Like at university, I think I got the basics, yeah. like film, learning how to read film visually. Um, computing, just like data structures, yeah. control flow, that kind of thing. But the day-to-day -day stuff, I just kind of figure it out as I go, yeah. <laughs> I think. Um, just like going through examples, example plugins especially, f 
figuring out how they do things. And there's so many different ways of yeah. doing the same thing. So it's mm -hmm. kind of interesting to compare. And like reading coding blogs, there's a lot of like technical artists or like TDs that have blogs on stuff that they can talk about, I guess. Yeah. A lot of it is proprietary, so they can't, but they'll kind of generally go over how they approach a problem or something. It's pretty useful. So what I'm gathering is there's no excuses. There's so <laughs> much stuff out there to get into coding, right? I feel quite inspired myself. I might give it a crack. Um, <laughs> Um, we should probably bring the, the episode to a close. Uh, I could talk about this forever, believe it or not. I, when I came into this uh, episode, I was like, I'm gonna, how am I going to sustain a conversation about coding? Because I'm not a techie at all, but it's actually really, really inspiring. So thank you. So I want to say a big thank you to, um, to Lizzie, Lucy, Anna, Caro, Julia, and Molly. That is everybody, right? I haven't left everyone out. Um, and I want to wish you all a very happy National Coding Week. So thank you. And uh, yeah, that's the end of the podcast episode. I'm terrible at ending these things. I can't do it. Um, thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. There we go. End of another Access VFX podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. To find out more about what we discussed, our mentoring program and events we're at, then head over to our website at www.accessvfx.org and follow us on social media. Big thank you for listening. And until next time, bye.